Welcome to another film club. Now playing The Conversation. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. That's a bingo. Not the beast! No, not the button! I have had it with these monkey fight snakes on this Monday to Friday play! Milk was a bad choice. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. King first, last. There is no try. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Stuff that dreams are made of. I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Excellent. It's not a tumor. Idiot. Hello, Bobby. Ask me about my winner. My man. This is a world of hidden mics and two-way mirrors. A world where nothing is private. You think we can do this? Later in the week. Why are you asking all these questions? Gene Hackman is Harry Call in The Conversation. There is nothing private about The Conversation. Listen. My name is Harry Call. Can you hear me? you picked it so why don't you talk about it i picked it because i had wanted to watch it for a really long time and i remember the first time i saw this movie it had like a really serious effect on me not like maybe not because of like the subject matter but just because i feel like i've never seen a film quite like it um there's kind of a lot in it you know it's it's like it's sort of hitchcockian but there's also that like there's also that Coppola vibe in there. Like, I feel like there's quite a few things going on. Um, and I will say that this is the third time I've seen it. And I like it a lot more after seeing it more than once. I definitely think it's something that you kind of got to watch a couple of times. This is also like my it. third time seeing it. And I don't like this movie. I go into it every time going, it's probably me. It's probably just me because it's, acclaimed. Coppola says it's one of his favorites that he's directed. Hackman says it's one of his favorite movies that he's been in. And I am just bored to tears throughout it. I don't get the ending. I halfway through, I'm like, wait, is this like, I guess a psychedelic character study? Wait, is this like, I don't get it. Like, what is it? Because Carl, you're saying how there's a lot going on. I think there's too much going on and little of it has substance because like the ending is not satisfying. You have to come to your own conclusions. And then by God, is that party sequence after the convention tough. It just keeps going and going and going. And I'm like, is this just knockoff Robert Altman? And I hate Robert Altman. So yeah, it's a good performance. It's a good performance. There, There's some themes in there that I like. Uh, it's a cool character. I like the sequel, Enemy of the State, a lot better because it has. Uh, Is know, that actually a sequel? You're stealing everything I was gonna say. <laughs> uh, it's not. No, it's not official at all. But uh, he plays a very similar character. They oh, no. also Jackson. They also use um, 
his younger self photos yes. are from this film. Are from this film. Anime so that's State. that's the direct think, correlation. But the characters themselves are very similar. Yeah. I think this movie is going to be a tie because I really liked it. Yes. <laughs> I thought like it's just like yeah, it's kind of like it's a bit of a thinker, uh, and it took me a little bit for it to kind of like click um, as to like what I was watching. But I really enjoyed the vibe and the atmosphere of it. It felt like something I want, like I had never watched before. And I feel like a lot of the themes of it really resonate a lot now and probably like resonate quite a lot, like back then as well. The themes of like a surveillance convention, like baffles me. And I found that very interesting. And I found it very interesting to, to watch surveillance guys kind of like swap stories about like how they've ruined people's lives. The dick measuring contest at the convention is pretty hysterical at times. It, it kind of is. Like, it's like, I don't want to say which from which party, but from a prominent, like a, the presidential nominee of a prominent uh, party, he lost that race. Yeah. Not saying I influenced the election, but draw your own conclusions. Yeah. And he's <laughs> like, he probably- That guy's such a dickhead. <laughs> it's like he probably he he probably had nothing to fucking do with it but like his conclusion is that like he did have like he had everything to do with it <laughs> what do you say harry come on how about how about going into partnership harry i could use a partner so could you 50 50 how about it huh i don't need anyone no, no, no. hey come here baby no. and it's like great and like i love gene like gene hackman this is great because it's like with with the one two that we've done of like gene hackman as this like really intimidating man who's like trying to like he's trying to do right by his town but doing it in all the wrong ways and he's really intimidating and scary also, also tough he's a very tough guy in that very big tough guy in it and in this he's like so like he's kind of like timid he's very protective of his like privacy paranoid obviously because like he's a bit whole, of a buffoon yeah, like, but like at the same time, he's like the best surveillance guy on the West Coast at that point. But he's skittery and like, like weird and socially awkward. And it's like, he won't just like straight up answer questions because he doesn't want like, he doesn't want that privacy. Like he doesn't want to open up and- it comes to fits of rage. He's a, he's a sociopath. He's just a little bit, a little bit. I thought, so I thought like the character, like, because like, I think the whole, like, once I realized the movie is like more of a, less of a movie and more of like a character study about Gene Hackman's, who Gene Hackman is playing, I think I kind of like was more on board with it, but I can also understand why you feel that like it was very boring. Well, um, he's not, he's not a hero, nor is he really an anti-hero. He's somewhere like in between whatever both of those are. And I find, I find that to be wildly interesting because I feel like this, is, this movie is a really tough sell. But again, I've just never seen anything quite like, I think it's undeniably an interesting film. Because nobody sure. told uh, like, Francis Ford Coppola, no. <laughs> well, he directed, yeah. he produced, he, you know, he, he wrote. But this was before and The Godfather, I, right? No, yeah. this was this was no, this no, was. Hey, no. I just got The Godfather yeah. money. I'm going to make my own film. The reason why he was, was able to make this was this after one or two. This is after the first one because the, the reason why I was okay. able to make this is Godfather one became the highest grossing film of all times. And uh, Paramount's like, yeah, 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 you can do this little uh, conversation. It's actually came I do want to get off seventy four with uh, Godfather two. They're both nominated for best picture against. Each other. I'm, I'm more in line with Jackson, but I do want to say at least the things I liked first because it's. 
there there are like the acting I thought was superb for the most part. Um, I really loved the musical choices yes. that were playing throughout. The music, yeah. The, um, the film good. stock, I really that's I don't know. I just the coloring I really liked. The editing in general. Um, like... the last half hour, for the most part, I do enjoy. But this is a 113 minute film where the first 80 minutes are the most boring thing I've ever watched. <laughs> See, I disagree. I nothing I'm happens. Not like the literally on the 80 minute, uh, I think it was, yeah, it was about the 80 minute mark when the film stock gets stolen. That's like, that should have been the 30 minute mark when like the whole paranoia goes into play. Well, it's tricky because the movie is, it has this, and I think Sean, you nailed it when you said how you like halfway through, you realize like, oh, this movie is about like a character study. And it's because the first half just isn't. It's a very linear plot driven movie. And then it just completely shifts and you have to change the whole entire way you're watching the movie. And I don't think oh. it's a graceful shift. I think it's jarring actually, because I'm invested in this. And I really, because I like the parts when he's putting together the uh, audio. I really like mm. when he's able to get the bongos and that band out of it and pull forward the audio um he'll he'll kill us if he gets the chance started to get on my nerve after a while because it's oh, I like it was I, th I feel like 75 percent of the film is that four minute dialogue four minute it's just dialogue. like okay oh, yeah. at a certain point it was just like when I he was... falls asleep to it with the uh the girl the that don't talk to them and they just play the conversation out and you just have to listen to the whole thing and it's just a slow zoom in on his face as she like like cuddles him it's that's like it goes five minutes of that it's that's Let's just talk about the, I think the, the big, the biggest point of the film, like the, maybe the biggest scene, which is sort of the catalyst for the rest of the movie is the midpoint. And I love the midpoint, even though the midpoint, as Jackson said, it takes a long time. That com the, the whole, the whole party scene. What is the midpoint? I don't even know time. the midpoint. The midpoint is him being recorded. Hey. That's terrific. <laughs> the bugger got bugged, huh? He got you, Harry. And if you loved him, you were patient with him. And even though he didn't dare ever tell you anything about himself personally, you loved him, you? How did you do that? Hey, how do you like it, Harry? What do you think about it, huh? Oh, would you? Would you go back to him? I think you better turn it off and get out. It, it, it is it is absolutely past the point of no return. And one of the things that I like why? about why? that whole why? why is it the midpoint? Why, why because is there's that the no past the point of no return? Because he's now been recorded. He's now been one of these people. He has spent his whole life being on one side of this, and now he is uh, he now has gone to the other side of it. He knows how it feels, and okay. that sort of shakes his foundation. What yeah. I really like. I guess I would argue that I feel like he's already shaken before that. I feel like he's already so paranoid already. I think he's. I think. General, I think he's always been paranoid. 
mm-hmm. you know, but I think it's the, I think it's now the physical reality of his paranoia is now in front of him. It's no longer just in his head. It's a, it's now a physical thing. It's a tangible paranoia, right? Okay, that's fair. Um, and one of the things that I love about that entire sequence of the party is that up until that point, he's an extremely rigid man, right? Like he's pretty religious, like he's very by the books. He obviously doesn't have any fun. And I, what I really like about it is that he sort of breaks up with his friend, right? So like the one person that's kind of in his corner, he sort of casts away. And then you have this scene at the, um, at the thing where he's just like, you know, I need you to come back. I'm being followed, blah, 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 blah. And um, he sort of, I think he sort of has this like quick shift where he sort of realizes like there are things in life that he's missing out on. And what I really like about that scene, that whole long scene is that we sort of see him go outside of his comfort zone for a minute. And like, he tries to be like sort of a normal person and he tries to be, and he all, and he opens up and he becomes vulnerable. And by him doing that, he now gets put into this position where his entire life changes. Like, and it's not, mm. obviously not for the better. So yeah. I, I, I agree with Jackson. I think that the scene goes on really long, but I think that there, I think that there definitely is an agenda to it. Like, Carly, like, you just I, got I don't, me. I don't think it's as aimless as you think. Yeah, I think like you, I think like you really like, you got me liking the movie even more now, just with that, because like, it is like, he, it's like, it seems like the first time that like he's opening up and enjoying himself. And then like, it just takes one person who's recording him and who managed to plant something on him to record him. That just completely shakes him up. Yeah, and it's not just that because in that moment he becomes he he sort of becomes infantile, right? And he now like sleeps with this woman. I think it's interesting to think about him as a sexual being and I think he does. I think he does I think he does sleep with that woman. And then, you know, he wakes up and the things are stolen, right? And he doesn't how do I put this? He he, he's now he's now completely opened up and everything is everything is wrong. So not only did he try to be normal, but even in this moment where he gets comforted, right? That's all taken away from him because she was a plant. So literally his entire world is different. Everything he knows is different now. And that's what sets like the whole rest of the movie, you know, in, uh, in motion. But there's so many there's so there's so many things about it like the the fact that he wears this see-through coat right you can sort of see through it you can sort of not and there are so many shots in the film of him that are obscured by something so there's you know there's sort of this cinematography like, is like all the technical aspects of this film it's like it's probably one of my favorite shot movies again like big plot like intimate story Uh, I always hammer that kind of stuff. Like I love those kind of stories, but it's like, yeah, the cinematography, the audio, the editing, like all the technical aspects of this movie. Like I can definitely understand where Jackson and Andrew like are coming from. I could totally get why somebody would not like this movie. Totally get it. It's, I I feel like I'll end up liking it more with a second watch, a second or third watch. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, the movie. This, this a- film had the uh, the Justice League treatment uh, because it was originally going to be four and a half 
hours long. Oh, it was. <sighs> so I, it's I, hard to I, do I, that. I would be curious to see, like, if cut. it was longer, <laughs> could it be faster? Because, I mean, like I said, the for whatever reason, for me, the first 80 minutes is just a slow slog of nothing. When, once the once the tape is stolen, that's when I feel like the story kind of rolls forward finally. Yeah, well, then you start. It starts to get a little more experimental there. Uh, right before the tape is stolen to you, of that dream sequence where mm-hmm. he continues to just like unburden himself and yeah, the same thing over and over and over again. Well, yeah, he's like he's like confessing to the woman, and there's some interesting things too. Talking about how. Yes, he's like a religious man and he's going to confession because he has these sins and he does a lot of saying how the murder isn't his fault because he did something and like three people got murdered because of the tape he was able to uh, create on this like president or CEO and an accountant. So there is some like PTSD that he has a little bit. And then even the woman says uh, you have to treat it as a trick or like your mark. You can't be attached to it. You just have to do your job and then get out. And Which again, I think do. there's a lot to dissect, but I think there's a lot to dissect because there's just, like I think I said earlier, there's just so much going on. And I, the through line, I think, is non-existent besides just him and his paranoia. And I guess yeah. these themes that we can then put onto it, but then it's like, to what end? Like, it, is it just like yes you can be paranoid and it'll destroy your life yeah i mean like i would i would say that like in terms of like a lesson at the end of it there's no like there's no moral like thing at the end of it i guess no but there is like the okay. takeaway what do you take away besides just some like provoking stuff okay so one of the things that i got from this time that i had seen it is one of my one of my favorite sequences that I find so brutally awkward in the film is just really the detail that he plays the saxophone, right? Think about and mm-hmm. he not only plays saxophone, he plays jazz saxophone, and jazz saxophone is what Jackson. No, I was just on that, like how he doesn't play in a band; he plays with a recording because he exactly. can be with people. I thought it was a good character touch. It's a really interesting character touch because it's he's not just playing jazz; he's playing freeform jazz and sort of and, and, and if you think about it what he does with the with the recording and putting it together is sort of like jazz he's sort of improvising like he's pulling things from all over he's letting the one thing work while the other thing steps back so it's i i, I don't think it's uh i don't think it's ridiculous that he plays jazz but what i find so interesting about the scene where he does play jazz is he plays along with a track okay so even in something that is so uh, free form, the activity that he is doing is rigid. If you listen really closely to that moment, he is playing along exactly to the notes of the saxophone, right? And there's that great moment where he stops playing and he just sits there and he listens and he waits for the sax to come in. He doesn't play. Now, if you mirror that with the scene at the end, right? He is now tearing apart his house, right? Um, he, he's looking for the bug. And there's this, there's that great moment right at the end where he's now playing the sax again, but he's not playing to a track, he's just playing.
first two times I saw this movie, I found the ending of the film like dreadful and miserable. But this time I watched it, I paid such close attention to the fact that he did play the saxophone in the end after going through everything that he just did, after tearing apart his house, and he plays without a track. So it's almost as if this sort of thing has broken him free of the rigid lifestyle and ways that he has. He had also bought a phone by then too, so there's a little growth in that as well. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little growth in it. And I do like just in that last shot how the camera is basically a security camera going exactly. there's it. a like, lot of uh, back and forth that, that, back was, that was a nice yeah. when it goes back again i'm like why are they just showing the same shot again I'm like oh i i get it that was smart good job Francis. there's actually quite a few of those in the film where there's a lot of times in scenes where gene hackman is obstructed by something or we're looking at gene hackman through something so there really is this surveillance feel noticeable like, in yeah. the uh party scene a lot when he goes behind that blue gel or whatever yeah when he's making a cocktail. I think there's like a random scene like where he's in his apartment and it's like a static shot and then he walks out of the frame and then the camera a little bit later like follows him over. It's um, when he goes to sit on the couch and to yeah. make that phone call to the landlord, you yeah. know, because that that scene is sort of like an inciting incident in a way, if you think about it, because it's sort of the first time that he's having his privacy invaded, you know? Mm. And it's interesting because the, you, you, the, you realize it's his birthday, right? And he says, uh, and you know, I think, I think it, uh, he's actually 44, but he tells her the that card he's says 42. 44. He tells yeah. us, uh, Terry Gar, he's 42. Exactly. And even in this mo even in this moment where he's supposed to be comfortable, but he's not comfortable. He actually lays down on the bed, still wearing his raincoat. He's still protected. He still has this veneer up. I think that the character so desperately does want to engage and does want to be with people but, but he's just he completely just, impotent he, yeah he's impotent he can't he it's just it's not in his dna which is why i really think that the fact that he plays the saxophone at the end not to a backtrack really is a huge important moment you know where'd but they it's meet? Sort where of, do you think where do you think he met his that girl well, I the first time I saw it, I thought she was a hooker. Um, I mean, he pays for her rent. He pays for yeah, her rent, yeah. you know. Um, she, uh, the, the first girl? Yeah. yeah. No, well, Terry um, Gar. They, they, uh, they said it was um, they mentioned how a mistress in, in some of the stuff I read, which doesn't really make sense because I don't I mean, think he's married. I think yeah, no. that just means a woman, he, like mistress well, can have several Mistress means yeah. uh, a side hustle to a married man. Yeah. That's the literal definition. So I think they're- Or it, I mean, it little... also means for an older man, just like someone he only has sex with really. And then I like yeah. that relationship. And it makes you kind of think about her because, you know, any other woman, right? Any other woman would never put up with the way that he treats her, you know? Well, it's the last straw. She says it. Exactly. She says, I'm like, I'm not- that's it. I'm a secret. Do you have a secret saying? I know you do. <laughs> Sometimes you come over here and you don't tell me. Um, once I saw you up by the staircase hiding, I'm watching for a whole hour. You think you're gonna catch me at something? 
You know? I know what, when you come over, I can always tell. You have a certain way of opening up the door. You know, first the key goes in real quiet. And then the door comes open real fast. It's like you think you're gonna catch me at some point. You know, but there's, but the fact that this beautiful woman who's obviously like intelligent, nice, like she sees something inside of this guy inside, like inside of this human being that makes her still want to have him around in some regard, because I can't imagine, you know, I, I don't think that they were dating for years, but I think that like their fling or something has been at least a year, maybe, maybe a year and a half you know they've um, like been on and, again off again but so what about what about the the like the the reveal right so what is the reveal he, we don't know what well, happened the reveal the reveal is that he spent the last however long like it's almost it's almost like um so in crime and punishment right crime and punishment is about a, is a novel about a man who think who has fundamental beliefs Right. And he thinks that if I had all the money that this rich bitch upstairs had, then I could do great things. Therefore, she doesn't deserve it. Therefore, if I kill her and take that money, it's really not that bad. Okay. This is the inciting incident of crime and punishment that happens on page 78. What he does is he goes upstairs, he kills the old woman, but then her friend walks in and he kills her. So the rest of the novel, the next 1300 pages, is him rationalizing this thing. And that's sort of like, how I feel about this in a sense that like he now does this thing, but he cannot rationalize it because he's seeing the real horror of what he actually does. So he spends the last like 40 minutes essentially of the movie just falling apart, right? And finally we get to the moment where he, he tries to like, you know, he tries to uh, tries to get get them, like tries to see the director or whatever, and then finds out that the two people that he's been worried about murder, getting murdered for this, are not the ones who are murdered. They actually are the ones who murder the executive, right? So maybe. Or the executive died in a car accident that uh or it was his uh, aide that did the murder yeah. or harrison ford was in on it there's like they gave you three different i think endings. they're all i think i think it's implied that they're i thought it was pretty clear that they're all kind of in on it that, i like, thought it that, was implied that uh he doesn't know and like all of them could be possible because he's yeah I, I thought it was his completely imagination or what completely in his head yeah that too I thought he just said I like, had a full psychi um, psychotic breakdown and because uh, they they he kind of does with all the uh, I guess the was the blood in the toilet didn't seem like that was real. No, certainly not. That's I think that's more just his guilt. And then there's and then uh, like um, they flash uh, at a certain point because like when he's in the when he's in their room the first point there's no blood on the walls at all. Mm -hmm. And then I think he remembers it differently there being blood on the walls. We also it, see the blood on the walls. We see the blood on the walls earlier as well. So he's already imagined this earlier in the film. So mm -hmm. it, this all could just be taken from it. And we've already now seen that dream sequences are very much uh, part of this and loose reality as well. Yeah. And yeah. Just I guess... With the end, the uh, him just tearing apart his apartment. Uh, who knows if that's real or just just his uh, mind and all is this is just visual representation of his actual brain uh yeah it's like the unreliable narrator 
That's with all his perspective, we're more or less like led to believe that like we're def- definitely experiencing this story from Gene Hackman's character, uh, Harry Call, his perspective, and he's like almost an unreliable narrator. Uh, and I really like that point too, where it's like that he's like seeing the horror of what he's done. Like, yeah, the horror. To to quote another <laughs> Francis Ford. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just like I think like just the just the the character itself and like Gene Hackman performance as Harry Call, it's like so subdued and it's like very interesting. I think like just for that alone, like the movie just like works for me. But definitely like I, I the, the ending is a little bit jumbled for me. Like I don't know if I like really understood what was going on. Like, I didn't know if, like, the murder was real or was it fake or, like, was it just, like, his own imagination? I think it's I guess all that's of the that. idea. I think it's all of it, yeah. I guess that's the idea He's of completely it. completely unraveled, yeah. I did read yeah. um that uh they recorded that bit of dialogue, like, the, um, he's going to kill us. They recorded that a bunch of times and then looped it at different points in the film. So even us as the audience wasn't quite sure how they were framing their talking points. Yeah, with his yeah. change oh, in mentality. With different cadences? There's different cadences to go out, reflect Ooh. his different changes in, uh, That's I guess, good. how he's feeling personally. And it reflects off of that. That's good technical the sound, the sound is really, really important in this movie. And I think it's used as a cinematic concept in a really interesting way because the movie is about sound. It is about recording, right? So the the recording itself, right? Especially in the way that you're now framing it, that like they recorded different versions. So different, uh, different parts when it's played is gonna have different connotations. It's almost as if the recording is also a character, like not just like those characters in the recording, the recording itself is a character because the recording is changing and it's being used in a different way and it's being manipulated, you know? And I don't know, I just, I've never seen a movie quite like that. I do think though that you guys are right in the sense that like this movie's not for everybody, but I think it's definitely for cinephiles. Like it's for people who really like movies, you know, because it's not, yeah, it's not it's conventional. Like it's- at all it's a hundred this is a, this movie is 100 percent for people who are just like it's like they go on a date and they're like what's your favorite francis ford coppola movie and then everyone everyone like you know everyone's gonna say the godfather two choices, the godfather right? part two or apocalypse now but like you know it's like i want to meet the woman who says me, the conversation me the distinguished cinephile <laughs> exactly uh, like is gonna say the conversation and that was also nominated for smarter than them yeah yeah, and that's what you want to do. You want to make sure you belittle your date. Uh, I've definitely with your said that movie before. knowledge. I've definitely <laughs> said this is my favorite Coppola movie for sure for that exact reason. I, uh, I would hope so, be, and I hope it works. Like, and I hope you use it. Probably again. didn't. I hope you works sound, again. Though, did anybody for their first viewing think that their mm. video was fucked up? No, I thought it was a. No, uh, I thought, I it, was thought it was a really good, smart uh, way of introducing it. That first shot's really cool because your your eyes immediately drawn to the mime yeah. because yeah. everyone else is being so uh, nonchalant. Played by Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. What? Played by Mick Jagger. Yeah. Is that mime. true? No. No, I don't think so at all. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but like, really I thought, I, I first, the first, the first like seven minutes of the film, I I, I thought like, is this? 
is this a bad copy that I have? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's a really too. good way of introducing it. And then also just as it slowly zooms in, mm -hmm. then we finally get to where it's zoomed in to the point where we can now see, oh, wait, he's miming next to Gene Hackman right now. That was a really, yeah. really great opening shot in character introduction. Great introduction to the character too. Because like, because unless you like, because at that point, like if I, if I watched this when I was younger, I would have been like, I wouldn't have been able to recognize Gene Hackman. I wouldn't have been able to pick him out of a crowd. Well, I noticed that he doesn't own a car. Yeah, Harry, like Harry Call doesn't own a car, and I think that I think that's pretty interesting because you know he has to have a he has to have a place to live. He has to have a place to sleep, right? But he just takes public transportation, like because a car is going to get bugged. A car is going to get you know mm. like it, like it's a weakness, right? Yeah, so he, the, so the only weakness one more place that, that really, can get you, yeah. Exactly. It's just one more place I can get you. So, you know, I think he's very, he's a very, Harry Call is a very calculated man. Like he knows, he, he, even, even before he's a, even before, because I think in the first half of the movie, he himself, even though like the thing with the birthday card and um, he gets a little too full of himself. Right. And that, that's, Sort of gets him into trouble but i don't know if it's just as much him getting too full of himself or him just try like i said before him trying to go outside of his comfort zone right because like he sees that i think he does see the value in having friends in people but mm -hmm. he's just I not i wonder what sparks that, that though i was i was confused about why he brought everyone back to his uh, workplace too for the party That's i think it has to do with the friend i think that like him seeing, I think him seeing, right, because he's so secretive about what he does. And he gets irritated that his friend keeps like, you know, talking about the big fat recording and like wanting to know more about them and blah, 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 blah. And, but I, and, um, but I think when he sees his partner, his one extension of this job working with this fucking sleazeball, I think it destroys him. Huh. You know, oh, I, I, took, think, I took it as he just was afraid that he was going to tell him like secrets about his work. I, didn't I think it, it's like, both. That he actually cared about him. I think it's both. I think he wants to care about him. I just don't know if he's completely capable, but I think he wants to. And I think that's why he does bring those people back because he does want to care for this guy. Well, there you he go. does sort of want him back. I didn't, I didn't get that. So I was take out like, why is he bringing him back here? This seems so, he's so protective of his stuff. Why is he taking them to... And then, like he, like if he's playing the big fat recording, he's like getting mad, and was like, "Well, what, what, you brought him back to your shop. What, what, what do you think was going to happen?" I, yeah, I, I don't like, think he thought about it. Now, look, don't get involved in this, Mister Cole. Those tapes are dangerous. You heard You know what I mean. Someone may get hurt. I thought uh, Harrison Ford killed it in his small little part. He crushes he's it. Really he crushes good. it. Yeah. He was perfect. Uh, it's like, funny is it would have been even smaller had he not um, made it a like he he brought a lot. Francis to Ford Coppola saw him in a uh, a green silk suit because he was going to make the character gay because he was in it for like I guess a scene. He had like one scene like, and like he did all. I'm going to make prep. that bigger. Yeah, he like did all this prep for it, and Francis Ford Coppola was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, I guess we could make this into a full character." And hey. There's re it's really good. I really like that first scene too, where he's like holding the money or like with the tapes, he tries to grab the tapes mm -hmm. from him and like they have a little struggle over the tapes. That's really good. And then uh, it's nice. That's a good thing too, where like they're talking about the director the whole time, like, oh, who's the director? Who's the director? And then it ends up being Robert Duvall. It's like, all right, good. They were able to get uh, some yeah. like a, a star for this. Otherwise, if it was yeah. just some no name 
If it was just some guy, it wouldn't have worked. Much less gravitas. Do you think we can do this? Tired of drinking anyhow. What a stupid conversation. Stan, please, I'm trying to work. So one of the things that I think that I didn't actually know about this being a four-hour, four-and-a-half-hour movie, like that there that there is a four-hour version. Well, I, so we're saying that not that there was a version, there's four hours yeah. Shot. yeah yeah but the mm. well that the, the i i find that uh i find coppola to be a very interesting filmmaker for that exact reason is one of the things i like about him is that he is extremely collaborative and that even though he'll spend so much time on a script before he makes the movie even in production you, you know you know sean like you've made you've worked on a bunch of movies you, you're you're finding things out about the movie while you're making the movie and 100%. i really like that uh coppola isn't you know isn't afraid to do that like not mm -hmm. everything like yes there are i'm sure there are scripts out there that the script that was written is exactly the movie that you got you know but that's i feel like that's less common like or mm -hmm. i feel like that's more maybe more common now and less common mm -hmm. 40 40 years yes ago. and no like tarantino i would say, I would like, say yes and no. pretty much his script he shoots his scripts because yeah. that's yeah. the thing but if, if you guys we've all seen apocalypse now but have everyone seen uh, hearts of darkness the yeah. documentary yeah. about making uh, it. No, I haven't yeah. seen the documentary now. So, well, in it, it's basically talking about the style and how Francis Coppola nearly lost his fucking mind because he was rewriting the movie as he was making it and yeah. going back and shooting things. And then they ended up shooting for like 500 days or something. It was mm -hmm. in, it was yeah, it was in fucking Vietnam. They shot for yeah. 500 days. Which Two is, years he was living there. Yeah. You know? yeah. And you can see part of that in this too, which probably is why there is the four hours out there because he's trying to do all this stuff. And I think... That's why there's some good in this, but I think it kind of makes it for me come across as like, uh, was it a like scramble, like because like mm. oh he, he he starts off with this movie about this like plot, this very distinct guy has to um, record this conversation and then place it together, and then as he's going along, he goes like oh no, the movie's actually about this guy's paranoia and him unraveling, and then the movie because there's a lot there's the movie shifts. There's a very yeah. hard shift, and then there's shift. like a couple shifts um, after mm -hmm. that. So yeah. I think it kind of goes to his style of that, where Godfather, it's based on a book. You got your beginning, mm -hmm. middle, and end already. This is him. Fully original. Screen kind of unfiltered, yeah. So he can, go, oh, I don't necessarily have to get, from, I have to, I'm starting at A, but I don't necessarily have to get to B at the end. I might end up at F as long as I hit B, C, D along the way, so... Yeah. What's funny, you guys talking about the jumbled nature of the film. Like, it, do you not feel that way? Do you feel it's fairly well, coherent? I I feel that it's deliberate. Like that, I, I don't feel it to be like sloppy or like trying to bite off more than you can chew. I feel like it's actually a cinematic concept. The entire movie itself. It may have been a choice, but I feel yeah. like it's still it takes me a while to then like go along with that. Cause you can make, you can make choices that are um, atypical and they might not work. And for me, it doesn't fully work. No. And I and like, I totally get that. Like I, I, like I totally get why it wouldn't work. I don't, I don't know why I'm exactly so crazy about this movie, but I like, I always took the jumbled nature as sort of a cinematic concept 
for him putting together recordings, how it's sort of all over the place. Very nice. Thank you. How it's sort of all over the place. And it's, it's not, it's not fluid. It's not rigid. It's, you know, again, it's like jazz. Like you wait for that one thing and then you pull that other thing together. And then once you come and then, you know, you get to the end of a jazz track and everybody is now together and then it's just over. Right. And that's just like, like it is with the recording of the conversation. And that's how I like, I love how that's how he introduces himself to people. So like when, so Terry Gar tells him, is like, what, what do you do, Harry? And he says, I'm a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Freelance And this is like, like, oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> That's so good. There's so many good character moments in this that like make me like because like because like you guys were saying like because of like Francis Ford's like kind of collaborative nature wouldn't surprise me if like Gene Hackman had a lot to do with like that collaborative aspect as well because well like, he, yeah, he did learn discovering things the about character. For the film. Yeah, that's pretty fucking great. And the sax is a really hard instrument to learn. Like it's no. a crazy like, hard can, instrument to I can learn. verify that is very yeah, very me hard. Me too. I tried to learn how to play the I had sax. So and I much trouble. Yeah, the fingerings Jesus. are just like crazy. Like you have to hold your hand in really weird spots and like it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, like it's almost impossible to make a noise out of a saxophone if you've never really blown into an instrument at all. Like usually people play three instruments before they play the saxophone. You know, so th- wow. that's actually really impressive. I did not know that he learned how to play the sax in the movie. That's Throwing pretty me. fucking crazy. Yeah, this most stuff too. Like he uh, at the time was very outgoing and had to really reel that in for the part. Uh, mm. He grew the mustache because Coppola thought he was just like too good looking uh, for the part, so he grew the shabby mustache. He's only forty four. That's pretty. Dude yeah. is from nineteen sixty two. I don't have any secrets. Does anyone have anything else to say really about the conversation? It's great. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't. It's really good. Really and once get again, into it either. Yeah, it pumps me up. To you boys. It certainly doesn't pump me up. Like new boy, like there's there's a lot. Boys. There's some good stuff. There's some good stuff, but uh, yeah, I feel it really drags at other parts. I, I mean, mean, those are fair. Gene, he really carries it, and there's he a does. lot of just again, like we had said, the contrast from the role in Unforgiven is a testament to him as an actor and mm-hmm. how he doesn't have a lot of dialogue. He has some, but for the most part, he's just conveying all these emotions uh, just mm-hmm. through his face and his actions. So it's, it's a really good performance. Yeah. There's a lot of time to- of screen time of him not talking to anybody. It's just him by himself, whether he's walking or whether he's sitting yeah. or he's just looking at the recording. He's like, got it. So the dude has presence. He has presence. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. Just, you know, and I don't. I don't think, think a the lot movie would work. Done that. From what I've read about Gene Hackman, is like he's very particular about what he picks to act in, and like if he doesn't kind of like get his way, he'll at least do it for like a lot of money. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, he said the only way he'd make a movie is if it could be filmed in his living room. Ha <laughs> ha